0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC.
2: Hi, me, Cindy Adams, Madam Adams, the same Cindy Adams who harangues you in my column Monday through Thursday, four times a week, every week in the New York Post, you're stuck with me. Here's a story cut right out of today's terrifying Eastern Europe headlines. Dr. Eugene Haluka is an internist. He called me. He has since been well checked out. He's in Staten Island. Dr. Haluka explained he was raised in the Lower East Side's downtown Ukrainian ghetto. New Yorkers know that old-time area as what used to be Ratners, what still is Russ and Daughters, Katz's, and push carts that sell inexpensive goods. We all know that. And he now tutored me on how, other than to, in other words, we should all just stop clucking and do something about what's happening in Ukraine, not just watch television and just commiserate over the war news. We need to help. Okay, okay. So I said, what, what are you talking about? The doctor said required instantly and immediately is military frontline medical and surgical equipment. I said, well, what's, what's that mean? He said, like bandages catheters, soft cast, leg boots, braces, splints, chest tubes, quick clot material. I don't know what all of that is, but he said we must get it together and address this desperate need instantly. And the one who was the first responder to it was Northwell's CEO, Michael Dowling. He's an Irishman, but he PDQ'd shipped crates of these necessaries. Dr. Haluka said, quote, the world is responding to help our people. All Europe is helping. He said, Germany, England, Poland, even Japan and Taiwan are shipping medical equipment and antibiotics. And, he told me, Leonardo DiCaprio's Jewish grandmother is from Odessa, So DiCaprio contributed $10 million to the effort. And Ashton Kutcher's wife, Mila, who is from the Ukraine, sent $3 million. But we're simple people. We can't all know how to do this. We can't just fold things like that into an envelope and put it in the mailbox. How, if we could find out how to get it together, how do we get it there? and to whom does it go? He explained, connected communities are everywhere. A little Russia is what one side is called. It's on Long Island. The Lower East Side has assorted clubs and organizations. New York City has a Ukrainian credit union. There's also, he told me, National Bank of Ukraine. You type in bank.gov.ua, help Ukrainian Army. I'm repeating it. It's bank.gov.ua, help Ukrainian Army. It then responds and asks credit card information. Said Dr. Haluka, Sunday morning, when everything started in the Ukraine, the country's foreign minister and their military attache called me. They told me, send food, formulas, specific medical equipment. We need it desperately. We instantly, we Ukrainians, shipped out 150 boxes with 28 crates of specific medical equipment immediately. He said Ukraine also needs level four body armor and bulletproof shrapnel jackets. I don't understand what that is or where you even find it. He said you can buy it in the USA, but... Minus official approval, you cannot ship this out. You require special appropriate shipping out licenses. Agencies can secure that, he said. But he also said, Everyone, do something. Help. Okay. Now to this side of the world. America's awards, Uh, Oscars, Tonys, statuettes, whatevers, the stuff nobody cares about or listens to anymore because so much film today is junk. That's movies, streamers, oldies, shows about everyone shooting everyone else, killing documentaries about people we don't even care about, including the Showtime one that was on me. Well, that wasn't, of course, so bad. And there were series and repeats and TV junk and female news anchors who mispronounce foreign names of places they've never been to or heard of and certainly never pronounced before. Okay, so now we come to an Oscar front runner. That's Jessica Chastain. She dug out from under the pounds of mascara she had to wear to play a person called Tammy Faye Baker. That's with two Ks, B-A-K-K-E-R. Jessica Chastain has been nominated for her role in The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Listen, I was there then. I know her. I knew her she's gone now. Many of our kids today, now going to college, might not know that name. Me, I, of course, know it. Listen, I actually have blouses that are older than half the people on this planet. In the day of the Long Island Reverend Jim Baker, who in his day dominated the headlines, there was also the everywhere and around his overdressed, over-made-up lady Tammy Faye. This is a yenta who would make speeches everywhere, any place. I knew Tammy Faye Baker. She'd speak without a camera or a microphone. Just light a match and she'd do 10 minutes anywhere. Some of us can still remember the 80s homophobia and fear. For Tammy to then spotlight in those days, an openly gay minister, suffering AIDS, and then tell her audience that we need to put our arms around him and tell him we care, was what Jessica Chastain says, in her words, was a radical act of goodness. Jessica not only wanted to be in the movie, she wanted to tell that story. She wanted to say that, regardless of Tammy Faye's overdressed, over-made-up carnival look, Tammy was about unconditional love and loving without judgment. Says Jessica, beyond my own perception of what society thought Tammy Faye was, I had to understand the soul of that woman. Yes, she was quick to grab spotlight, quick to get attention, quick to cry, but she also loved camp. Okay, good, fine. Look, I am here telling you what Jessica Chastain, who plays Tammy Faye, says about her. And yet, here's the point. Me, I absolutely knew Tammy Faye. I was there with her. Me, I long and well knew this ex-lover of sprung-from-the-can evangelist Jim Baker. I knew them both. I was with them both. I interviewed them both. One time... When Tammy's day glow lip gloss nearly blinded me, she said, quote, Freak is chic. Okay, that's what she said. In 92, when her approval rating flopped even lower than OJ's, she told me, Nobody should pick on me. Michael Jackson wears more makeup than I do. And then she said, Tammy Faye. Listen, I am sick of apologizing. I'm now looking for a press agent. In those early days, before Jessica Chastain became so special, Tammy Faye told me that someday, if ever there was anything done about her, she wanted to be played by Sally Field. Okay, Middle of our world's chaos, more chaos. Meanwhile, I want to tell you that here locally on our serene, all happy, all harmonious, no problems continent, which is so peaceful and pleasant and harmonious, that so perfect that Nancy Pelosi could actually keep her hair tinting appointment and nobody has to wake Joe Biden. We had 18 wheelers chug from L.A. to D.C. and burn over 400 gallons of D.C. fuel just to protest their supply chain. And so why were they all massing? It was to complain about the fuel shortage. They were opposed to, quote, those elites who bossed them around. And they said they were cranky about having to finance, quote, the working classes. Listen, I don't care and I don't get involved. I'm only telling you cranky letter writers have reached me saying they actually protest more than a mosquito in Florida would protest. They protest taking sides here and they say that money that they raised should just instead have gone to Ukraine. I am just telling you what I heard and now I am going
1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC.
2: Okay, welcome back. I am at this moment going to speak with Eric Mazza. He is the monthly magazine Town & Country's Executive Style Director. Such a very highfalutin, high-class title. I don't basically know what the hell it means or exactly what this guy does. I only know that without my even knowing anything about it, he put me and my photo in this March month's issue. I had no idea it was there. Okay, so, Eric Mazza. So basically, besides directing a flotilla of eager 11-year-olds who desperately want to be fashionistas, Someday, what 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 exactly is an executive style director?
0: Uh, I, hey, Cindy, thanks for having me on. I'm I'm really uh, thrilled um, that you're my afternoon sugar rush today. As I'm sort of like putting together the next issue of, of of TNC, that I sort of like get to have this this talk with you. So, an executive style director, what do I do? I sort of like look at the landscape of fashion, of interior design society, and I look for juicy, fascinating, entertaining, amusing stories to tell. And every now and then, we put together, uh, you know, me and and the other editors at at Tenant Country, we put together uh, a big, fabulous list, that, like the one that we featured you on, which is an ode to OGs, to the original gangsters who are still making trouble and mischief today.
2: OGs, I'm an OG. What the hell is that? What's an, an OG? O-
0: an OG is an original gangster. And so these are uh people like yourself who've been at it for a long time, who are survivors, but who are still who are still working, who are still publishing, who are still singing, who are um, at the vanguard of culture, and I like I like I wrote in the in the, the magazine. Only in New York can you become you know a, a TV star after you've been um, you know at the at the gossip game for for four decades, like you have.
2: Well, where the hell else is there in the world? Who cares? You want to do this in Omaha? Nobody cares about Omaha. It's only <laughs> New York. Okay, so. Does a high-class executive-style director such as yourself, you also get samples, free clothes,
0: uh, yeah, every now and then some things come in, uh, that are, that I mainly give away to my mother. This is sort of like the truth. They sent in a lot of makeup, a lot of lipsticks, and I have no use for this. Uh, I actually, you know, I face the world with a, with a mug I have. And so the nice lipstick that some of these fashion brands sent in, I just sent to Florida to my mom.
2: Okay. What about schmatas? Don't you get clothes?
0: I don't think that I look good in an Oscar de la Renta gown. That's what no, I'm no, no,
2: no, no. Doesn't a man, do, you don't do anything for gentlemen?
0: Uh, they need to send me more stuff, maybe. I haven't gotten a good <laughs> schmada that sort of, like, looks good on this body in a while.
2: Okay. So, who are you? Where did you go to school? How did you get your training?
0: I, I went to school uh, at the University of Florida. I was an English journalism double major, and I... Um, My first semester of college, I I knew that I wanted to be a journalist, so I thought, okay, I I better kind of like try my hand at this. And so I did an internship at my local newspaper, uh, the Sarasota Herald Tribune, uh, and I found out that I loved it. I loved sort of going out and finding the funny angle on the stories um, around town. My first uh, front page story was about a singles night at a blood bank. (laughs) So, like the thing wrote itself yeah it had to go on the front page okay um and from there i when i after i graduated college i went to work at uh, a great newspaper in miami called the miami uh uh New Times, where I wrote about uh, the Cuban diaspora, I wrote about uh, deadbeat politicians, about gamblers, about rich people in the art world, and it was very good training for when I finally moved to New York to be the media columnist at Women's Wear Daily.
2: Okay. But Miami or Florida has changed. Now everybody there is senior. You have to come with a walker. It's the only way you can get around in Florida. What would you write about now, for God's sake, where the late dinner is five o'clock? That's what Florida is.
0: I'll tell you exactly what I would write about. I would write about all these cryptocrats, all the kids who are making money on Bitcoin. Uh everyone's moving to Florida. It is sort of like the if you don't want to pay income tax, you move to Florida. Uh you know, you 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 stop in Palm Beach or in Miami or in Miami Beach and it is Popping, it, It's very buzzy. Every restaurant is packed. So it's not just like a retirement community. Uh, the, the Golden Girls is a thing of the past. Miami somehow is like the new Monaco. It's a, it's a sunny place for shady people.
2: I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but I've seen people there who late dinner is five o'clock. So what are you telling me? And they all go out after that since there is nothing else to do in Florida other than to get rid of the alligators. All they do there is they, they go to a gallery. There's nothing else to do in, in Palm Beach.
0: Let me ask you something, Cindy. Have you been following this whole Julia Fox, Kanye West romance that I guess just ended recently?
2: Well, not exactly. I mean, I wouldn't put Kanye as somebody I'm really looking up to. <laughs> and I'm getting tired of you if this is what you're going to be telling me. No. Okay, do you remember your first celebrity or your even your first mistake?
0: Yes, I do. As a matter of fact, I. Speaking of Kanye, I'm going to tell you one more Kanye story. Uh. I was I was I was writing a story for Women's World Daily about Kanye's first fashion line, and I was sort of following him around various shows in New York, and he was with Kim Kardashian at the time, and. Uh, and his uh, and their child that had just had a baby and he turned up at the show with Kim and the new baby. And then in the next show, he didn't have the baby. So in the middle of an interview with him, I was just like, hey, where did you leave the kid? Because I couldn't remember <laughs> the child's name. I just I, I don't follow celebrity stuff, really. And so I, and he was so offended. He was like the kid. We don't call it the kid, and I was like, "What do you mean? What do you call it, the Messiah?" <laughs> you know. And I, but I realized that day, I was like, "You better know the celebrities' kids' names if you're going to interview them, because otherwise, they might get very upset."
2: You're you're better than I expected. You're getting better now that we're not talking about Florida. Okay, you were <laughs> listen. You were in Paris this week. Why?
0: Yeah. It was Paris Fashion Week, so uh, twice a year, uh, or really four times a year if you count the couture shows, uh, the editors of Town & Country uh, go to Paris to see the new collections that the designers are showing. So it's everyone from Chanel, Louis Vuitton... Uh Balenciaga, all the sort of like the big fancy designers put on these very extravagant shows and in, in Paris, and they're the people that you know we cover it in the magazine that our readers like to wear uh, and that are you know also our our supporters who's
2: wearing anything for now? I mean we're all wearing t shirts and jeans, so tell me what are they showing there? Is it short, long behinds or out boobs are showing is it jeans t shirts again what? Tell me if you just came back from Paris.
0: Sex is all in. People want to, uh, they've been cooped up too long. They want to show off their bodies. Uh, The sort of like the hottest collection of the last season was by the designer Mucha Prada. And there were a lot of crop tops, a lot of mini skirts. And when she showed her latest collection, you couldn't believe the number of young women who turned up in these tiny, tiny, itty bitty skirts and, and, and shirts like you could see everything and uh, it, it was like you know a pack of like the, the washboard abs or something it, it was sort of they were ubiquitous these yes. women and like these very cute. So what I'm saying is, people want to show off their bodies again because exactly like you pointed out, we've all been wearing sweatpants for too long. They they want to go out there. They want to sort of like have fun, uh, and they want to you know get laid.
2: Oh, that part is interesting. <laughs> you have to bring that more into the conversation. Okay, but not everybody is 11 years old and has a nice, cute, little, adorable body and wants to use it. What about people of middle age? What are they wearing? And what was it like with masks and CV restrictions in Paris?
0: Um, I think, you know, we believe at the the magazine that Quality and craftsmanship trumps all. So in the same issue that you're featured, we have a beautiful six-page story uh, by one of my colleagues about the garments and the handbags and the leather goods that some of the oldest luxury labels have been making since their inception. So we're talking, you know, a Vuitton trunk. We're talking at Hermes Kelly. And... I th- I think that kind of quality of uh luxury stands the test of time and it stands uh you know it it's impervious to trends like you're always going to look good in a Max Mara coat and a Chanel suit you know this I know this everybody knows this uh so Really, when you go to Paris and see that level of craftsmanship up close, you sort of, like, understand why it might cost an arm and a leg, you know, to buy the latest Oh, stuff. enough
2: already with that, please. My housekeeper doesn't know all this. Let me ask you now. You, you printed my picture without asking me. You didn't tell me. There was a photo in the magazine, a yeah. photo of me on my bed, and you called me a diva. What actually does a diva mean. Isn't it a bit pejorative? I'm not well, exactly sure whether the word diva means you're a bright light or a played out bulb. What is it?
0: We are taking back the term diva. We love the term diva just as much as we like the term snob. They are uh they are terms that suggest um taste that that suggests self-possession that suggests that you know what you want and how to get it. And so I think a diva is someone who, uh, who says the kind of line that, um, that you gave the documentary on, on, on Showtime. I, I, I love it when you say, you know, you don't like it, go screw yourself. I think that is a, <laughs> yes. a diva statement.
2: It shows class. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and it shows it really that you stand really up for yourself. Class. Okay, listen, I have adored you, but I just want to say be, under my picture, under me is a photo of the Queen of England and a diamond crown, mink fur and diamond wristwatch over long gloves as if she has to check the time. I mean, for what? To be sure she's not late for her appointment to pay Prince Andrew's lawyer or yeah, Prince exactly. Harry's psychiatrist? I don't know what that is, but I was grateful to be above her majesty, the queen. And now I have had enough of you. Thank you very much. Am I going to be in a future issue?
0: Absolutely.
2: <laughs> I love you, Eric. I really I love, love you. I love you
0: too, Cindy. Talk Thank soon. you. Bye-bye. Bye. A
1: name you know who's in the know. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC.
2: It's me, Cindy, Madam Adams, back again. Now, I am about to give you the biggest, the hottest, the most listened to, the highest rated program on WABC radio, or maybe any radio. It's the long-time morning 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. program, Bernie and Sid. They've been on since Lincoln was clean-shaven, and everyone listens to them. They actually had me on their air this week. And since I love them and I listen to them, I wanted to interview them. They were good enough to say they'd come on. So I'm going to be speaking now to Sid Rosenberg, the famous Sid of radio's number one morning show, W.A.B.C.'s Bernie and Sid. So now, Sid, since you're on with me and since this is the big time, I mean, don't be nervous, okay? Try to, try to, try to relax.
1: So oh, for yeah, real, yeah, you, you, know, you know, you say that, and despite the fact that I've interviewed, like you, not nearly as many as you, but many presidents, many athletes, many celebrities, many famous people, this is the first time in my career I can honestly say I'm scared to death.
2: Oh, sure. <laughs> oh, come on. You're ridiculous. Oh, come on. I mean, you're, I know it's a joke. Okay. I really, I really would like to know, because I don't know, how did you two guys start in the first place?
1: Well, we have to date all the way back, Cindy. It's a good question, to 2001, when I was a uh, a young guy in New York City. I had just been let go from WNEW FM, a morning show in New York. I was preparing to move back to Boca Raton, Florida. But before I did, the management at WFAN Radio called me and said, wait, before you go back to Florida, we may have an opening for a sports guy on Imus in the morning. I said, Imus? Are you nuts? That guy's crazy. He's miserable. He's going to hate me. And they said, Yes, all that is true. (laughs) He's crazy. He's going to hate you. But it's going to be great for your career. I said, Okay, I'll give it a shot. And uh, as luck would have it, unfortunately, he didn't hate me. He actually liked me. And I joined Behind His Cast in 2001. And Bernard McGurk was a valued member. In fact, he spent 30 years as Don's executive producer. So we did all our work together between 2001 and 2005, and then when I got fired in 2005, we remained in touch. And we always said, Cindy, one day we're going to work together. And sure enough, 11 years. after I got fired in 2005, we joined forces at WABC in 2016, and the rest is history.
2: Obviously, you're both so good and talented and work so well together, but could you do a radio program all by yourself?
1: Yeah, that's what I did most of my career, to be honest. When I went down to Miami, I spent the better part, Cindy, of 10 years doing three different morning shows at three different radio stations alone. And I was asked in the first book that I wrote, I just wrote my second book, would I rather work with somebody again? And I said, unless it's the perfect partner, I would rather not. Well, as it turns out, I do have the perfect partner in Bernard McGurk. But for folks that listen to us now, uh, Cindy, as you know, Bernard has been very sick. He is in the midst of battling stage four prostate cancer. He's about as courageous and brave as anybody I know. And he's missed basically the better part of the last three months, uh, which has had me doing solo shows basically since December here on our station. So it's something I had done most of my career. I'm used to doing that. I've always enjoyed doing that, given the opportunity. I'd rather work with Bernard, but I'm certainly comfortable doing shows by myself. Yes.
2: But you're now taking other people to be with you on the air. Is that not so?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've got other producers and, and board ops and call screeners, Cindy, and, and other people uh, that, that uh, contribute to the show and hop on. I have so many great guests, people like you, every week Bill O'Reilly and Peter King and all these folks that, you know, they seem to fill the void when Bernard is not there. So we have plenty of voices, but it's always difficult to replace your partner. That's always very Okay, difficult.
2: okay. With your sense of humor, which... I have to say you have because clearly we're not hearing it at the moment. How many people <laughs> which God knows I mean I wouldn't even mention. That. How many people how many people maybe with your really with your great sense of humor are there people who maybe won't talk to you again or or get scared of you or something like that?
1: Oh because of what I said during my career on the air?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I oh mean, God, I have so had man. that. Would, would oh, you not? Oh,
1: so many. Cindy, so many. You know, listen, being on Imus was a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing in that I was a guy that came to New York with very little experience that nobody knew. And in a matter of three weeks, three weeks, I became topic of conversation on the Howard Stern Show, Rush Limbaugh. The view, you name it, because of a faux pas I made on the air with Don Imus. So I became infamous, not famous, but infamous overnight. But with that said, 20 plus years later, people still, Cindy, hold against me what I said on the Imus show back in 2001. And it's cost me, and this is not an exaggeration, millions of dollars and tons of job opportunities. There are people who are scared to death of me because I don't lie. I don't beat around the bush. I tell you the way I feel, and people don't like that. People would rather be lied to, sugar-coated, be nice. That ain't Sid Rosenberg. So the answer is yes, in a big way. Millions of dollars, plenty of opportunities, and tons of people that are scared to death of me. Let me tell you something, Cindy. I wouldn't want it any other way.
2: Okay. Are you allowed to or can you say whatever the faux pas was you made?
1: Well yeah, it was a it was a uh, poor attempt at humor talking about the Williams sisters, Venus and Serena Williams. and i've I've uh, apologized for it in my book time and time again on the air. but uh, what I did say, uh, I was asked by uh, a guy named Bud Collins, who used to cover tech uh, tennis, and he was at the French Open, and he was on with me and I met a host of others. And he said, "Let me tell you something, Sidney. Not only are these Williams sisters great tennis players, they're pretty, pretty enough to be in Playboy, and I responded with maybe National Geographic, and uh, that was uh, <laughs> that was wrong. I, mean, that,
0: that I think that's funny
2: another... compared well, to I, I, the rest I, I, of go... compared to the rest of the stuff you say. That was pretty good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. What you you'd be surprised, Cindy, how many African American people, and I mean actors, athletes, big name people, that reached out to me and said, I got to tell you. I thought that was kind of funny. Exactly the same reaction you just had, but, yeah. but management didn't. I was fired. I was suspended. I was in, I was in Time magazine. I was actually, at the time, uh, by Time magazine, voted the worst person in the world. And this was weeks <laughs> after Milosevic killed all of his people in his
2: own country. Listen, I would have voted. I would have voted. <laughs> okay, what time you get up in the morning and how? With an alarm clock, you nudge your wife. How do you get up?
1: You see, I set the alarm for 3.45 a.m. every morning, but I'm so scared to wake up Danielle because if you thought Lorena Bobbitt was tough, (laughs) you got something coming. So automatically, my body alarm goes off at 3.30 out of fear, not because I'm sensitive, not because I love her, not because I want to wake her up, because I'm scared to death. So I get up at 3.30 every morning instead of 3.45. I'm in the office usually by about 4.45 Start preparing by 5 o'clock and hit the airwaves at 6.05 sharp.
2: Okay, but how does it all work? You get up, and do you have coffee? Do you have a muffin? Do you, do you take a taxi? Do you take a bus? Tell me how does it work. I'd be terrified if I had to get up at that hour.
1: And I am terrified, and it's awful. And people say to me all the time, Sid, you ever get used to it? And the truth is, you never do. Have you ever take a really good look at guys like Don Imus and Howard Stern? That's why they look like that. <laughs> you get up in the middle of the night for 20 or 30 years, you ain't going to look good. But uh, it's the same routine every day. I get up in the morning. I make a cup of coffee at my apartment in my Keurig. I take it down. I have a driver. His name is Gene. Cindy, he's a cabby. But I call him my limo driver. He's just a cabby that lives two blocks away. And he literally sits outside my apartment building 4.30 a.m. every day, drives me to the office. So I have my coffee in his car. We converse a little bit. I get upstairs. I meet the guys on my cast. Bernard is usually home because he can't come to work anymore since he's become ill. And I just start preparing for the show. Uh, asking up a certain sound we'll use on different news events, getting the guests ready, getting the music ready, getting the bits ready. But it all starts at about 4.30 a.m. in my cab driver Gene's car with a cup of coffee and a 15-minute trip from the Upper West Side to midtown Manhattan.
2: Who pays for the cab?
1: Are you serious?
2: <laughs> yeah. You pay for the <laughs> cab, you cheapo, or, do you, or does ABC <laughs> go for it? I need to you know, know that.
1: No, it's a fair question. and And the truth is, John Katsimatidis, who loves you and you love him, is so good to me and so generous and pays me so handsomely
2: that I pay for
1: the cab and I don't mind.
2: (laughs) I'm going to throw up altogether if this goes any further. I mean, really. So do you ever screw up, I mean, or goof or throw in a bad word accidentally as we all have periodically?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, that's why, you know, most shows have a, a a delay. My delay is like a minute. <laughs> Most shows are like seven to ten seconds. Yeah. Mine like a minute. But I will tell you what I love about this station, Cindy, is that John and Margot really give me reign to pretty much say what I want. I mean, it is not a PG show in the morning. You know, there's a lot of sexual innuendo. There's a lot of words that I use that you're not going to hear on any other radio station. So they really allow me to be that kind of Brooklyn tough guy that I proposed to be when I grew up. So uh, in that respect, I very rarely get into trouble, very rarely get dumped because they know what's coming. It's predictable. They like it. And obviously the audience, they love it.
2: Oh, listen, your story has really touched my heart. I tell you the truth. You're now <laughs> going to get a raise enough already with how wonderful they are. I understand that. What, what percentage of your boring four hours is pre-written in advance?
1: Zero. What are you kidding me? Everything is off the cuff, Cindy, which makes me brilliant and the show, brilliant at all. I mean, look, the guests are. Obviously, you know the night before who the guests are. So, you know, you start to prepare a little bit in your head. I don't write questions down. There's no script. This is not a TV show I'm in mean, One of those or a movie. I'm in mean, three of those. This is uh, right off the cuff. So outside of the guests, when I hit the airwaves at six o'clock in the morning, now Bernie does prepare more. He's got cuts. He knows exactly what he's going to talk about. For me, it's more off the cuff. It's more lifestyle discussion. It's more my wife, my kids, what movie I watch, what restaurant I went to. So, very little is actually prepared the night before. It's again to the studio and I just let her rip. And what, time me, that, that, what time 30. do you
2: go to bed at night? What time do uh, you go to bed at night?
1: After I have sex, uh, probably about 9. What kind of sex?
2: <laughs> you mean, Prilly, <laughs> you, you go to bed very quickly. I mean, let's get over that. Oh, <laughs> okay. What percentage of your four. Okay. Wait, wait, where am I? I'm, you're getting me all confused. En- enemies, enemies, enemies. Do you have any types out there who want to be you and are jealous? I mean I guess so.
1: Well, I mean I, I I hate to think that's the case, but to be honest, of course that's the case. And I'll tell you something else, Cindy. The worst part is there's probably a bunch of them at our own station. They don't reveal themselves all the time and they they smile in your face. You remember that song by the, the OJ's backstabbers? It was a great song. They smile in your face and they put the knife right in your back. So uh this this business especially and no one knows better than you, people are just so awful, yeah I know. jealous of I envious. Know.
2: I know, you have, know? You, have, have you ever well, like like now? so have you ever hurt anyone and then had to apologize, really?
1: Well, I mean, I, I've set things on the air. Like, for example, the, the example I gave you earlier, the Williams sisters. I had to yeah, apologize okay. on the air. But, okay. no, in fact, in fact, I'm the other extreme. I go out of my way to help people in the business, oh, even please. though I know. Oh, your story
2: has touched my heart. I'm getting nauseous <laughs> with this. Who's been your lous, other than me, who's been your lousiest guest?
1: My lousiest guest? Yeah. Uh, my lousiest guest ever that is that is a uh, hard call. I, I I don't really have any lousy guests because if they come on once and they suck. I don't put them back, so I don't really have any lousy guests. Some are better than others. You specifically are, are amazing, but I don't have any lousy guests. You're not going to get me in a fight here, Sydney. Forget about it. do not going to happen.
2: Oh, you you know you what what do I need you for? I could have an, a a singer on. I'm a singer. <laughs> Listen, I am, I, am a, I am a mother lover, and I never loved anyone in the whole world like I loved my mother. Tell me about yours. You've you her, you've had her on the show, have you not?
1: Oh, my God. I can't believe you brought my mom up. I love you to pieces, Cindy Adams. I, I
2: love my mother desperately. Right I love my mother oh, desperately.
1: So do I. And I love my father, too. And I was very close to my dad, and he died two summers ago. In fact, my new book which comes out this August, Citizens United. A lot of that book is actually about the relationship I had with my father and how that's transformed my relationship with my own son, Gabriel, who turned 14 years old this year. But in terms of my mom, yes. I just had her on the other day, International Women's Day. She was on that day. She comes on about once a month, and uh, she's a rip-roar. She's like you, great sense of humor, really smart, very opinionated, Hates Joe Biden, uh, Mrs. Donald Trump, and loves to be on the air with her son. And when she comes on, I have to tell you, my phone does not stop ringing. In fact, John and Margot Katsimatidis, they love Naomi Rosenberg. So I do love my mother desperately. I miss my father, and she is on the show at least once a month, and she's great.
2: Okay. I have now been bored with you for a long time. I have had enough. I want you to (laughs) hang up and never speak to me again. Okay, are we set? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Sid. I
1: love you. Thank you, honey. Cindy, I love you more, sweetheart. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. thank Bye. 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 Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen-Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health health services and substance use disorder treatment the bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org the cindy adams show 77 wabc
2: okay i'm back here's a few more scribbles you may have already read or heard or even smelled That ex-governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, and ex-governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie, had a meal together at Fresco by Scotto. It's an Italian restaurant on East 52nd. It was mentioned in the papers. It was mentioned everywhere. It was probably written in crayon on the side of buildings. Kids are hopping over this hot piece of news that was probably even scribbled onto sidewalks. Not mentioned is that Cuomo has choreographed this. He's busying himself organizing meals for himself and then also seeing who maybe will schlep along. Recently, he even actually snagged our so wildly busy New York City mayor, Eric Adams, to dinner. Understand, Adams, who's been mayor an hour and a half also has plenty of free time because most of what he's done so far is dress up in pressed suits and be photographed at events or speak on TV. He almost has no time left to locate where City Hall might be or to praise his new DA Alvin Bragg whose thought of how to keep from being stabbed is simply not to walk into the blade. Anyway, the deal with Andrew Cuomo is he wants to be seen around. He is craving attention. Sitting home alone just with his unemployed brother, Chris, is not doing it for him. Shriveling alone somewhere, unseen and unheard, is not helping his comeback. Being out and around in public is the centerpiece of his new ad campaign. It's geared to redeem his image. So, step one is, he only frequents his most friendly restaurants, where they know him, defer to him, have always fed him. He's gone to Fresco forever. He has often held court in their most private upstairs dining room, where you can stuff 35-ish unseen bodies. Andrew Cuomo, like him, don't like him, who cares? Andrew Cuomo is smart. And what he does is at the hand-picked eatery of his choice, he's known to pre-arrange a warm welcome for himself, plus some not-so-random well-placed supporters who just happen to be there also to greet him when he arrives. They are hand-picked and they are placed there by design, like extras, and he is planning more of these sightings. So, who might be his special meal with some special guest next? Only the shadow knows. Okay, more. I want to talk more. I want to talk more. I'm going to talk more. See, my, my idea is to try to get this station to maybe pay me by the word. I know I'm running over, running at the mouth, but my city is also having its troubles. Look, my religion is New York. I was born here. I live here. I work here. Even my baby dog is a Yorkie. I'm a devout New Yorker. So now I want to drone on and say a word or two about my city. With all the so-called glories of my city, this capital of the world, New York, New York, it may be, possibly, could be, has a few small, tiny problems. Like, New York is unique. I mean, face it, where else on this planet do residents actually buy mutual funds with their welfare check? Or take one long, jam packed Lexington Avenue bus. That's a main artery in New York. The street is crowded, jammed. Lexington Avenue is a one way street going downtown. So, this young lady was having difficulty fishing for whatever necessary money in her purse to pay for the fare. The nearest passenger was a man, and he volunteered ma'am, may I please pay your fare? He asked that. Blushing, she stammered, oh gosh, no, (laughs) no, I, I couldn't let you do that. After all, you're a total stranger. He said, no, not really. You already unzipped me three times. So I want to tell you a little bit about Broadway. Broadway's court Theater was just renamed for my longtime forever friend, James Earl Jones. We met in the 80s. I maybe know James Earl a week or two under fifty years. I have been backstage in his dressing room when the play was Can't Take It With You, and he was sitting just in his drawers. Listen, I know him, I knew his wife, I know his son. I was there when son Flynn zipped him up and adjusted his suspenders before he met the public. I recalled Jimmy and his wife Cece eating in my kitchen. I can't forget calling him a while back, and it was upsetting. I called him, and the Pulitzer Prize winner with assorted Oscars said to me quietly, It's better if you write me instead, because I can no longer hear on the phone. And one Christmas, I remember him reading Abraham Lincoln's 1848 manuscript aloud in that glorious, sonorous tone. When he was in Broadway's Driving Miss Daisy, he said, through a cookie in my apartment, Quote, the play's structure is really simple. No makeup. If I get shiny, they powder me. My wardrobe is a black suit and tie. The show's only 90 minutes. No intermission. And then this incredible one-time great voice for CNN added, So, if you have to pee... You'll have to crawl over someone. I oh, James Earl Jones, I love you. Another happening. Princess Diana I met. I understood. Kristen Stewart is now an Oscar maybe for playing her. Kristen Stewart I don't understand. Kristen said about playing this character, Princess Diana, I had to learn everything objectively. We haven't objective experiences with people we don't know. It's always through some funnel or lens. Di had unstoppable energy, but was stopped. Losing her made her character ghost-like. She remained remote, but she liked people sort of. Unknowable, this is Kristen speaking about Princess Di. Unknowable, she helped people connect with fellow humans. The job was to be as present as possible. Everyone should have a different experience with that movie. To be able to hold her energy again and said, Kristen, we are all Lady Di when we watch Spencer. I don't know what all that means. The movie was good. It was okay. The explanation, not. By the way, I, I knew Princess Di. I mean, not well, but I knew her. I remember going to Brooklyn once, and she was in charge of a ballet, and when we had the ballet over, she went upstairs where there was a toilet that was specially assigned with a big notification for Princess Diana only. So when she went to Brooklyn, if you had to pee, you had a problem, or you had to go to the Bronx. There was a special can just reserved for Princess Diana. Okay, now, the Post, New York Post, my beloved newspaper, wrote about Carmine Street's Ukrainian restaurant, Sveta, S-V-E-T-A. Outside it, Ukrainian flags fly. Inside it, knowing her family is suffering death and devastation in Kharkiv, Svetlana Savchits cries. Boris Klyman is my Russian-born American citizen, Techie, and my friend over 20 years. We often go to dinner together. He was telling me that this Ukrainian mother and son run this New York City Sveta, S-V-E-T-A, restaurant. It's while her family remains suffering back home. He told me, this is where I wanted to go with you. My wife and I wanted to take you there. Don't you remember? We were planning to go there for dinner. He said, I know her and I know her son very well. Now I also know her family is being bombed. Okay this is Cindy I'm going to say good night to you I'm going to say goodbye to you I'm going to give you back to radio station WABC because my time is up but I will say that New York City is to visit again and again and again Kevin McCarthy California's congressman leader of the House of Representatives was at the St. Regis. That's considered a really large schlep from downtown Palo Alto. Even he gets out of Washington and California because he comes to only in New York, kids, only in New York. Bye.